this morning we're going to be continuing in our sermon series that we've been doing on learning from the Lord. We are going to be in Matthew 4, so if you have your Bible handy and you want to turn to that, uh, go ahead and grab it. We'll be looking at those first 11 verses of Matthew 4. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Friends, contrary to the message of popular TV preachers, the Bible does not promise us health and prosperity. What we are promised is that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. It is an all-out war. Satan is actively involved in trying to separate us from our Holy Father, and he is aggressively tempting people to turn away from God ever since Adam and Eve first listened to his lies in the Garden of Eden. What we see here in this text is Satan offers Jesus a crown without a cross and a kingdom without human suffering. Now, as we look at the text, we should observe and notice that Satan is not trying to distract Jesus from his mission. He is merely offering him a shortcut. But none of what Satan is offering Jesus is within the bounds of God's will. As we look at our text today, we will discover some valuable lessons for winning the battle against temptation. Satan launched three aggressive attacks against Jesus. Now, you have to admit, uh, 
His timing is impeccable. Jesus had just spent 40 days out in the wilderness by himself, and he was hungry. And you know, when you're hungry, it's really hard to think about anything else. Hunger has driven people to steal in order to have that satisfied and to do other things that they would not otherwise do. On the surface, it seems quite innocent, doesn't it? Wouldn't God expect us to use our resources to care for our physical needs? I mean, what's wrong with feeding a starving body? But we need to realize that this, what Satan is presenting Jesus, is something quite different than just going down to the local store and buying a sandwich. Satan is encouraging Jesus to use his divine power for personal gain. And if you think about it, if you're familiar with Jesus, you know he never did that. He only used his power to honor God and to eliminate human suffering. Even when he was on trial, he could have called down 10,000 angels, but he was convicted not to use his power for personal gain. This naturally raises a question. What is more important, submission to God's will or providing for our own physical needs? Friend, anytime we set our comfort before any godlike quality, we're in a dangerous place. Satan's second challenge to Jesus was to use his to use his power for uh, to gain human approval and attention. He takes him up to to the highest point on the temple, and we know that that is approximately four hundred and fifty feet from the bottom of the Kidron Valley. If he were to jump off of there, he'd have a 450-foot drop. And Satan tells him, hey, you know, God has promised to protect you. He even quotes Psalm 91. Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. There's only a problem, a minor problem, maybe a little more than a minor problem with what Satan said. Yes, he's quoting scripture, but he's quoting scripture out of context. Now, if you think about it, if you have a context, context, and you take the text out, what are you left with? A con. Context is king. 
And it makes a difference here too, because if you look at the two verses right before what Satan quoted, we read this in Psalm 91, 9 and 10. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. You see, friend, Psalm 91 reflects a promise to save when the events of life came upon God's children. But it is not an excuse to go out and look for dangers. Satan wants Jesus to base his loyalty to God upon the condition that God is going to act in a particular way. Let me ask you, do we ever do that? Do we ever condition our loyalty to God on God performing uh, some sort of service for us? or not doing what we might expect him to do? Think about this. When was the last time you said, oh God, I'm in deep trouble. If you just get me out of this trouble, I will do this, or I will, I will not do that. You ever been there? I bet you have. Or what about bitterness that you might be holding on to from God because he let a loved one die or you lost a really good job or really good friendship or your marriage disintegrated. Have you blamed God for those things? Do you hold on to bitterness because he didn't act in a particular way? It's quite alarming when you stop to think about it that Satan knows Scripture. Isn't that interesting? Satan knows the Scripture. But there's a principle here even in that. You see, friends, just knowing Scripture doesn't make you a saint. Correctly applying Scripture to your life, especially in times of struggle, can be a lifesaver. Jesus shows us that his faithfulness to God is not dependent upon God protecting him from all harm. Our faithfulness should not be dependent on God's protection either. In fact, if we are doing the will of God, dear Christian sibling, if we are doing what God desires, we will suffer consequences in this world. Our motives will be questioned. Seemingly good people will accuse us of all matter of wrong, sometimes to our face, but often behind our back. The world will spit in our face and do all manners of evil. And friends, our faithfulness 
should not be dependent upon the hope of remaining free from the fiery furnace, but upon Jesus' sacrifice and the knowledge that God will vindicate us. Amen? Amen. Satan's third challenge for Jesus is for him to worship, for Jesus to worship Satan in order to gain power. Obviously, this is contrary to God's will. Now, this is something that puzzles me just a little bit when you stop to think about it. Jesus, who is 100% God in human form, already has dominion over the earth. Don't you think that Satan knows that? That he has dominion over the earth, over our solar system, over the galaxy, over the entire universe? Surely Satan is very much aware of that. The issue here is something a little subtle at first, but makes a lot of sense when you think about it. The issue is who is going to be on the throne of Jesus' life? Is it going to be the Heavenly Father, or will he let Satan be on that throne? You see, the issue is idolatry. What is going to take God's rightful place in our lives? We humans have always struggled with this issue. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13, where uh, idolatry is prohibited. Read with me. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God, as you did at Massa. Very good principle here. All the temptations, all three of these, involve a choice between God and Satan. After successfully resisting, Jesus dismisses Satan by saying, go away. Get away from me. Jesus' temptations also show us, friends, he walked where you and I walk. Being 100% human, he had to face life's temptations as well. Satan has used this same strategy that he did on Jesus. He used it on Eve in the garden, and he uses it on us today. 
Satan uses real needs to cause real doubt about God's provision. Consider the human needs that each one of us are tempted to satisfy, or the three that Jesus was tempted to satisfy. That first one, turning stones to bread, the need was, was physical to satisfy hunger, and it raises doubt about God providing for him. And that second test was testing God's protective care. And that's an emotional need, is it not? A need for security, a need to know that God will always be there for us, and the doubt that it raises whether or not he really cares. And the third one, that exchanging worship for power, when you think about it, that's satisfying a psychological need, a need for significance. Don't we all want to be significant to someone in this life? It raises the question is if there is an easier way to accomplish God's purposes. So you see, he attacked Jesus physically, emotionally, and psychologically. And he does the same with us. And Jesus showed us that God can be trusted, not only with the details of our lives, but also with our destiny. So I have a question for you. Did Jesus really have to endure all that we are forced to endure in this fallen world? I mean, think about it just a moment. His parents were never divorced, at least not that we know of. He was never sexually abused. He never filed bankruptcy. He never lost his home, never lost a spouse, never lost a child, or had to face some other catastrophic event short of, oh yeah, that beating and the cross. Friends, if you're looking at your life in this sense, there is no one that can truly understand the depth of your personal pain. Yet it would be the height of arrogance to say that we are the only ones who have ever felt sad, lonely, or abandoned, or betrayed, or overlooked, or overwhelmed. The truth is that in every major category of human sin, physically, emotional, psychologically, Jesus experienced the same things, the same types of things that we have. The only difference is he resisted the temptation to sin. Over in Hebrews 4, we read this. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let me read that again. This is your memory verse for this week. So make a note of it. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And because of that, friends, we can trust Jesus. He has shown us that there is a way that we can win the battle with temptation. Four big things I want to point out to you. One, know exactly who you are. Jesus knew he was the son of God. And because of who he was, he refused to disgrace himself or his father. Christian siblings, our relationship with God is our first line of defense against temptation. Paul, writing to the church over in Galatians, wrote this, Galatians 4, starting at verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. He is our father. Refuse to dishonor your father. Make the decision to live life the way he lays out and stick with that conviction. Second thing we need to do, we need to be willing to admit our weaknesses. Self-reliance is insufficient during these critical moments. It is extremely dangerous for us to not admit our areas of weakness, especially since these are the areas that Satan will exploit. Temptations that we have given into before come back up over and over again. Friends, what we need to do is we need to admit it to ourselves, confess those to God so that it can be disarmed and they can be taken away from us. And then we need to bloody it with the blood of the cross and remember that we are no longer slaves to this world, to this life, but we are sons and daughters of the most high God. God blesses us with strength and ability, but that does not mean we are invincible. Self-confidence is healthy but arrogance leads to destruction. Third thing that we need to make sure that we're doing, we need to be a student of God's word. Jesus relied on God's word. In fact, I remember a little saying from a 
from a TV preacher some years ago. Whenever he got ready to open the Bible for the first time in his sermon, he would pick his Bible up and he would say, this is my Bible, God's holy word. My Bible will keep me from sin and sin will keep me from my Bible. He had the whole congregation repeat that with him. Such a good thing to remember. This is my Bible, God's holy word. My Bible will keep me from sin, and sin will keep me from my Bible. You know what that's saying? When we know that we have done things against God, we tend to hide. We saw that with Adam and Eve, yes? We tend to hide. We tend to stay away from the things that will convict us, that will actually help us to be back in a right relationship with God. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What a wonderful, wonderful principle. God's word allows us to see the truth when Satan tries to twist the truth, to accomplish his purposes. We need to be students of the word. And the fourth thing, faithfully serve God. Jesus' ultimate choice throughout these temptations was obvious. Should I serve God or serve myself, serve Satan? Now, friend, you know how and when you have given into temptation. We've all done it. Remember Romans 3.23, who has sinned? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what all means? All means all. And it means me too. The question remains, will you choose to serve God or Satan? Friends, you need to remember the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament are really exactly the same. Without God, we die. But with him, life in this world is vastly better. And the life to come, well, that's out of this world. The good news of Jesus is that our mistakes, regardless of how tragic, need not be fatal or final. Jesus was the perfect man born to be our perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of an imperfect world. And God's forgiveness can be yours. You need to confess your sin. You need to rely on him. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin so that you may be raised to a newness of life 
and have the promise of God's guiding spirit with you always. Friends, be encouraged that the life that you lead in Jesus is worth it. I look forward to seeing you next week. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for Jesus who, though we can't seem to figure out that he was fully God and fully human because, Father, that just blows our mind. But we thank you, Father, for those times when he set that divine aside to be human to show us that we can live the life if we choose for you to be Lord of our life and we follow the decisions you have already made for us so that so many temptations can be taken away. And yet, Father, you know that we are not going to live perfectly sinless lives. And that is why you sent Jesus, so that we may have the hope of having those sins washed away and having an eternity in your presence. We thank you for that hope, Lord. Be with us this week, and may we seek your face and live life according to your word, remembering that Jesus has paid it all and that we have hope because Christ lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.